The Dry Cleaner Cast presents Need to Know. Need to Know is a podcast featuring conversations with security experts focused on the terrorism and intelligence stories dominating the headlines. This podcast is written, edited, and presented by Chris Carr. This is Need to Know. Hello everybody and welcome to this special episode of Need to Know. So on today's episode I am joined by author and intelligence historian Calder Walton and we discuss his great new article in Foreign Policy magazine titled Spies Are Fighting a Shadow War Against the Coronavirus. If you're enjoying this show, please consider becoming a Patreon subscriber. If you go to patreon.com forward slash drycleanercast, you'll get access to new exclusive episodes just for Patreon subscribers. You'll also get early access to our interviews. And if you subscribe at over $15 a month, you'll also get a copy of the film The Dry Cleaner. Also, if you like the show, please leave a five-star review on your preferred podcast app. Every positive review or every review helps us gain more listeners. Also, if you like this podcast, you may enjoy my short film, The Dry Cleaner. The Dry Cleaner is my first attempt at spy fiction and is now available on iTunes and Amazon. All you need to do is type in The Dry Cleaner Film to iTunes or Amazon and you'll see the film come up. I think it comes in about $1.99. If you become a Patreon subscriber at over $15, you will get a copy of that film included with your subscription. So, you have the choice there. And without further ado, let's get on with the episode. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this one. Opinions expressed by guests on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the filmmakers and sponsors of the film, The Dry Cleaner. Calder, welcome back to the podcast. Well, it's great to be back. I wish it was under different circumstances, but thanks for having me. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Well, just quickly for the benefit of new listeners, um, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm, um, I'm a historian and I'm at Harvard's Kennedy School of Government. I'm the director of research at the Intelligence Project here. Yes. And I uh, focus on my speci- specialization is intelligence history. Fantastic. And we, we just, uh, just for, if there are new listeners, we recorded a, a previous interview just a few weeks back about the uh, kind of the future of British intelligence. I thought it was a really interesting interview. So thank you again for your time on that, Cold. It was really good. Oh, no, it was it was my pleasure. It feels like an eternity ago, doesn't it? it? Does. A different lifetime. Because that was before coronavirus. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. How things have changed in the last three or four weeks. I know. It's, it's mind-blowing, isn't it? It is mind-blowing. So, so on the subject of COVID, you have written this sort of great new article in Foreign Policy magazine, and it's titled Spies Are Fighting a Shadow War Against the Coronavirus. Now, in this, in this article, you've identified that there are four ways that the intelligence services are kind of contributing to the war against COVID-19. And uh, what I'd like to do is just kind of go through each of those ways, and you just tell us about it and, uh, and so on. So, um, so the first section you yeah. Mentioned is that they will um, they will provide the intelligence services will provide policymakers with assessments about the virus's spread and impact. So can you just tell us a bit about that? That's right. I mean, my starting point uh, for this was seeing it bandied around in the um, in the U.S. media, in particular, mm. that this has been a catastrophic intelligence failure, and that perhaps it was 
right up there with um, Pearl Harbor and 9-11. And that, the, the, by contrast, some of the other reporting I said was that actually there was this sort of flow of intelligence going to the White House in the preceding months yeah. before Trump eventually um, um, implemented a lockdown over here, which doesn't didn't seem to look like an intelligence failure. So I decided to sort of really um, dig into that a bit a bit more. And it, it seems, based on the public reporting, that it was clearly a, a policy failure. In mm. other words, a failure to listen to intelligence, not, not a failure on the part of the US intelligence community to provide intelligence. So that was really my starting point. And then I really began to think about, okay, well, what, how is this going to change US or British, uh, you know, uh, national security going forward? Um, and what's the impact of the coronavirus going to be on uh, national security intelligence communities? And what role can intelligence communities play in combating the virus, if any? And then it struck me that probably the most obvious and um, first one going forward is, as you said, is about p- providing analysis or assessments about the virus and its spread going forward. Mm. So, as I said, it seems now, based on public reporting, that the U.S. intelligence community was providing assessments in the preceding months. Now, they'll continue to do so going forward, and we can just all hope and pray that um, the Trump administration listens to those uh, assessments um, better than they did um, before the the, uh, the, 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 the outbreak lockdown in the, in the U.S. The yeah. U.S. intelligence community has a, a, um, a facility, the National Center for Medical Intelligence, mm. Um, in Maryland, which is really a sort of a, a group of experts, epidemiologists, virologists, and other medics dealing with bacteriological um, threats to the U.S. They are, it's really a clearinghouse for um, all sorts of uh, all all source intelligence, uh, U.S. intelligence on um, pandemic threats. So really, this is the the eyes and ears of the U.S. intelligence community, and it seems. Uh, highly likely that going forward, the, the daily um, uh, briefings that Trump will be, the Trump administration will be getting um, everything from the um, uh, president's daily brief down to sort of discrete special um, national intelligence estimates about the virus. Um, the, this this facility, the National Center for Medical Intelligence, will presumably play a leading role in those um, assessments about the, the spread of the virus, its impact, um, and where um, where this seems to be going in terms of U.S. national security. Because that's the thing, is that it's not this, this, mm. this extraordinary, unprecedented um, pandemic that we're, we're all facing is not just a public health emergency, it's a national security um, emergency, as well as clearly an economic emergency. It's, it's the perfect storm that we're witnessing right now in terms of threats definitely i mean this is there's so many levels like economic and and also god forbid um some terrorist organization decides to exploit this for their benefit you know <laughs> um, I, I think that, that that's absolutely right and that's the thing that i i think i'm going to be watching very closely in the preceding weeks and months um of whether there is a new form of uh, alas um bioterrorism mm. That's to say terrorists um, who take advantage of uh, infecting themselves and trying to spread it to other people. I think this is a sadly something that will um, will have to 
uh, deal with going forward because yeah. human nature being what it is throughout history, mm. um, the, the track record is that there are always going to be um, small, tiny minority of people that want to take advantage of right. uh, disasters uh, for their own purposes. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? So it's, yeah, so it's, it's uh, yeah, quite a concerning note, isn't it? One quick question comes to mind. Um, so yeah. with the NCMI, does uh, does Britain yeah. have anything of equivalent to that, do you think? That's a really good question. As, as I was speaking about it, I was wondering whether Port and Down is the equivalent. I don't mm. know is, mm. the, is the answer to that. But mm. I imagine, I mean, Port and Down is obviously the Britain's similar outfit to mm. the NCMI dealing with uh, toxins and mm. um, medical and virus threats. So mm. I imagine that's the closest corollary. And I imagine that Port and Down would be playing a significant role in, in British um, intelligence assessments. You know, um, when all of this is is passed, um, it will be, I think, significant to see what intelligence, Britain's intelligence community was providing Downing Street again in the preceding months mm. um, before um, things went so drastically um, badly for, for all of the European countries. But it will be, I think, you know, I mean, was the Joint Intelligence Committee in Britain um, providing assessments about the threats to British national security and critical infrastructure mm. uh, in the light of the pandemic, I don't know. Yeah, but, um, yeah, you would have you would have thought that there would have been some intelligence sharing if the Americans knew something. So yeah, I don't know, but it's difficult to say. Precisely. Yeah, that's that would be my. Um, I would have thought so. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, this, the second way that you mentioned the intelligence services are going to contribute to the fight against COVID is by sort of stealing secrets. So, is there anything that's sort of come up in your research about that? Yeah, so that's the stealing secrets, or just what usually in the trade is called in- intelligence collection. Mm. Um, intelligence collection really uh, means spying or stealing secrets, and it and, and it just struck me that going forward, um, this is going to be a particularly important for um, liberal Western uh, democracies to try to understand whether closed regimes Mm. like China, Russia, North Korea are really tackling and Iran are really tackling uh, the pandemic in the way that they uh, outwardly suggest that they are. And the only way that I think you're going to be able to get at that is by aggressive um, uh, spying. So stealing secrets. In other words, stealing the information that they want to be kept secret. Uh, and this will involve, it seems to me, the age-old <laughs> phenomenon of um, human intelligence or espionage. Mm. So getting a well-placed agent with, with access to that information in China, Russia, Iran, or North Korea, or other closed regimes. But it will also presumably, um, in, in today's age, um, involve the massive um, technical intelligence gathering from signals intelligence or imagery intelligence. So satellites revealing, for example, I mean, this is just pure speculation, but are there mass graves Mm. that a a particular regime is not admitting to? That kind of thing will be absolutely crucial for for all all countries of the world to know about Mm. um, because this virus doesn't um, care about nationalities. Um, You know, it is um, by definition, transnational, and it will rely all governments to cooperate. And if certain governments, particularly one-party states, are, are, are by their nature um, 
paranoid about their own legitimacy. Mm. They will do, I mean, history shows one-party states always going to extraordinary efforts to prevent public criticism about their legitimacy. And it strikes me that in the age of, a, at this moment of a pandemic, that is going to be absolutely top of the top of their priorities. Well, Chernobyl comes to mind. I mean, uh, yeah, just their series was a hit last year and obviously the reality in the 80s. I mean, my goodness. You're absolutely right. And, you know, mm. is this, although it's obviously a different, it's a man-made disaster with Chernobyl um, as opposed to a natural disaster right now with the pandemic, but is this China's uh, Chernobyl moment? Mm, mm, mm. Um, we don't know. I mean, on the note of Chernobyl, you're absolutely right that, um, and now I, for the book I'm writing about British, um, American and Soviet intelligence in yeah. the Cold War, one of the staggering stories that I've uncovered in Ukrainian archives, mm. um, KGB Ukrainian archives, was where Chernobyl uh, occurred, was the extent to which um, the Moscow headquarters, KGB, instructed um, local security officials to help cover up the um, Chernobyl disaster, including uh, when Western journalists, in particular French journalists, mm. two in the story involves two, two French journalists who um, got hold of some soil samples mm. The local Ukrainian KGB broke into their hotel room and swapped the um, soil samples um, for for non-radiated samples. Mm, mm. Another leading American journalist um, reporting for Newsweek on Chernobyl, um, pretty much the the KGB made sure that all of his contacts uh, were KGB plants. Mm. So this was extraordinary levels of... um, active measures, deception to um, prevent um, public criticism, Mm. um, discrediting the Soviet regime. And, you know, as I said, if, well, if history is a guide, we imagine that there are similar efforts being made in in regimes like China, uh, Russia, Iran, and North Korea. Yeah, yeah, there's been, I mean, like, uh, Iran's come up a lot lately, because there's been rumours of these mass graves and things. And um, yeah, it's so difficult to know what's what's going on, really. But I'd imagine you mentioned again with the technical side, um, I would imagine there's, uh, the spy satellites can actually detect if the soil's been disturbed, can't they? I think that's right. So that's the National Geographic Spatial Agency, or whatever it's called Mm. over here, which is an entire huge agency devoted to, to studying exactly those kind of things mm. through infrared satellite imagery and so on and so forth about, you know, detecting um, whether things have physically changed in a, in, in a landscape. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I'm sure in time will tell what we'll find out with that. But... I, I imagine that there will be uh, investigative journalists mm. doing freedom of information requests left, right and centre about all of these issues. Yes. And then, um, Historians like myself will wait for the documents to come out <laughs> in <Yes>. due course. <laughs> um, but, or, you know, I mean, it would also be extraordinarily um, valuable to, um, uh, to start interviewing uh, practitioners. At the Harvard's <clears throat> Kennedy School of Government, um, the Intelligence Project, I'm hoping to um, speak to someone who worked in the National Center for Medical oh, Intelligence. Okay. And I'll, um, I'll certainly be posting 
anything that I on my website, mm. anything that I um, think that the listeners will be interested in hearing about that. Yeah, fantastic. Well, yeah, keep us posted on that. That sounds good. So the third way that you uh, pointed out that the intelligence services are going to play a big role is by countering disinformation. Now, um, online at the moment, disinformation is rife. And um, so can you tell us about what you sort of found about that? Yeah. So again, there's struck me with parallels with the the Cold War um, in in when uh, the Soviet regime, the, the KGB, promoted uh, conspiracy theories that the United States was responsible for the AIDS virus. Yeah. This is um, now now infamous um, Operation Infection, as it was called by the KGB. And actually, this involved Fort Detrick, which is the same facility that I mentioned uh, just now, mm. um, that is now the U.S. Uh, National Center for Medical Intelligence. So it's the same location, and it was in, this was the center point of the KGB uh, Cold War disinformation operation to say that the U.S. had manufactured the AIDS virus mm. at this facility at Fort Detrick. Um, it, it strikes me that this is, so that's the sort of, that happened before when the world uh, had a uh, faced the pandemic without a cure. Uh, when there was panic about it, it was spreading. There was it was ripe for disinformation operations. And it seemed to me that we were now also in the early stages of the um, coronavirus pandemic. We also faced disinformation from the this time from the Chinese government, um, suggesting that the um, there was actually the U.S. military that brought um, the virus to China originally. Now, this is just all of a way of the strategy is um, distract um, and confuse. Mm. And as long as people are confused, then, um, as I said before, the legit this won't uh, affect the legitimacy of, in this case, the Chinese regime, um, because this was something to do with foreign meddling. Um, so there's a long history of when you can go right back in history, when societies face um, uh, an unknown threat, um, whether it's the bubonic plague in the Middle Ages, um, or as I said, the, the, the AIDS virus in our own times. Um, people look to try to explain the unexplainable, inexplicable in other ways. Mm. And a foreign influence is a clear way of doing that. So it strikes me that, that, that another, another key way that the um, intelligence community will have, a, a role will have playing going forward, is to counter that kind of disinformation. And this is uh, going to involve, well, in the Cold War, it's almost looking back on it now, it was a sort of an age of innocence in terms of disinformation. Mm. The, the way that the, the KGB spread disinformation was, um, it was quite a sort of labor-intensive way of planting a false story in an obscure newspaper and then getting that picked up by the mainstream Soviet press. This is how the, the um, AIDS virus conspiracy theory spread. And then hopefully, um, um, as in the case of the AIDS virus, then it was picked up by left-leaning press in Europe and then by eventually mainstream press in, in, in Europe and yeah. the US and, and um, in parts of the third world. So it was a very um, laborious and you know, most of their efforts got nowhere. But every once in a while, when the conditions were just right, then it, then it really did take off. Um, now, you don't need any of that. Now, of course, all you need is uh, fake um, bogus uh, Twitter accounts or Facebook accounts 
um, and just a churn of um, uh, nonsense disinformation produced by trolls. Mm. And who knows, you know, you know, if it's one out of every hundred stories that takes hold, so be it. You know, it's still a cheap, effective investment. So any kind of strategy, and 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 the the key point that it struck me that is that during the Cold War. Um, particularly with the AIDS virus, the U.S. administration did have an effective uh, counter strategy that they did actually um, counter the KGB AIDS uh, disinformation operation. And they had an interdepartmental outfit um, called um, appropriately the Active Measures Working Group. So Reagan set that up and its job was to counter Soviet disinformation. And it was remarkably successful with the AIDS virus doing so. So its, its strategy was uh, threefold, uh, report, attribute, and publish. Yes. So report about, report about the disinformation, attribute it to wherever its source is, and to publish it. Now, obviously things have moved on in, in the age of the social media, but I think those underlying issues uh, are exactly still applicable. Mm. Report what's going on that can probably be obtained through intelligence collection, either technical or espionage, as we mentioned, attribute it to wherever it sources um, with the Chinese disinformation operation um, that we mentioned just now mm. um, to, to the Politburo in Beijing, um, and then publish, um, to publicize it. And with the AIDS virus, that um, certainly had an impact. And it seems to have had an impact after the US administration uh, did so uh, with the... Um, Chinese conspiracy theory at the beginning of this pandemic. Yeah. The problem is that that it's going to have to just all happen so much quicker than it did in, in, in the past. And it's going to also have to happen with the cooperation with social media companies, mm. because um, at, which are largely unregulated, because at, at this point, they're just, it's a free for all to, to um, spread nonsense and dangerous disinformation. Oh, definitely. I mean, there are people out there at the moment who believe that covid's a hoax and they're telling people just to go outside and behave normally and then there are other people who are setting 5g towers on fire because they think that somehow the frequency um is encouraging the coronavirus and it's just like these insane ideas absolutely i i, I saw that i don't know where, where did that come from do we know i don't know the the source of that i don't know it's weird i was no. reading a report in the bbc about the 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 fires that yeah. happened Exactly. And it just seems to have one of these things that just seems to have sprung up out of nowhere. And then yet suddenly it's being reported in the mainstream press, you know, mm. so having to say 5G is not responsible for the coronavirus. I mean, yeah. what a waste of reporting space to have to <laughs> deal with that nonsense at this point. But yeah. there we are. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> it's, it's insane, isn't it? So as, as I said, I think, I think that social media companies are really going to have to um, have a uh, more significant role in terms of regulating uh, content about this, mm. because if it, 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 it tips over the, the, the line between free speech, mm. freedom of expression, and then public safety is mm. um, we're seeing it in real time right now. Yeah. 
Well, it's true. And that, and that segues quite nice into the last point, actually, which is about uh, the last um, way that intelligence services can help in the fight against COVID-19 is through sort of surveillance. And as you mentioned before, China has sort of deployed some very intrusive mass surveillance systems. Um, and yeah. uh, now countries like Israel have been using their intelligence services to track people's mobile phones and things. So, yeah, can you talk to us a bit about all that? That's right. So that was thinking about this, about the way and watching mm. watching the news unfold. Um, it struck me that this is going to be another major issue that, that – um, Western liberal democracies, Britain and the US in particular, are going to have to grapple with uh, at breakneck speed, which yeah. is um, where do we find that balance between privacy, civil liberties and security? In other words, um, public health security. And, it, you know, regimes like China have an inbuilt advantage because they do not respect human rights and privacy in the way that we do in, in the West. And they were able to impose much more draconian um, surveillance of their of its population. But as you said, so so is Israel, and this is really an extraordinary um, development that Israel has has deployed um, techniques first used um, for counter terrorism, now for counter virus uh, intelligence, um, essentially creating a digital dragnet um, of people's cell phones in Israel using big data to monitor locations of people known to be infected. Um, and and then also warning people if they came into, lightly came into contact with someone that was infected. This is really extraordinary. Um, and I think um, it's actually, you know, if you look on the Israeli press, this isn't something that is people are embarrassed about, but actually people are pr like within the intelligence, the government intelligence community, this is seen as a, something that the, the intelligence services should be proud of uh, having done or mm. are doing right now. Mm. Um, now, we, you know, clearly the requisite uh, technologies are available in Britain and the US in the same way. Um, but where do we want to draw that, that delicate balance mm. between um, security and civil liberties? Um, you know, how would how would your listeners feel about being um, informed about someone who might be in, uh, infected in their vicinity? You know that might be useful to know. What about um, if you are supposed to be in uh, self quarantine in isolation and you pop out to the shops? Mm. Should that trigger an alert? Uh, to the authorities, well, lots of people would presumably say, "Well, no, that, that's you know my right to do that." So it's a, it, this isn't this is the kind of debate that usually is sort of um, we have in law school seminars um, in a comfortable setting to think about it over the course of an afternoon, and this all <laughs> needs to happen pretty 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 quickly in real time right now. No, definitely. So that that again. That again is, as you said, that strikes me as the final fourth way that intelligence, the intelligence community, um, can play a major role in combating. I mean, my my essential argument is that I think that there will be pandemic intelligence in a way that there hasn't been in um, counter pandemic intelligence mm, in a way mm. that there hasn't been in the U.S. and British national security going forward, uh, sitting alongside counter terrorism, counter espionage, counter sabotage. Um, those more traditional fields. And um, we will now, you know, whenever there is a disaster in, 
in in the US or Britain, then there's a reform of the national security apparatus to make sure it never happens again. This is a, an absolute disaster that we're living through at the moment. And there will be, when we come out the other end of this, there will have to be bureaucracies uh, and systems in place to make sure that it never, ever happens again. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. One one quick thought that just crossed my mind. You know, with the um, yeah. with the Israeli phone surveillance, have they backed that up with any legislation, meaning that people have to carry their phones with them? I don't know, because that's an obvious mm. loophole, isn't it? You can just leave your phone at... Yeah, good tradecraft. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I don't know. I mean, the, you know, there, there's obviously other measures as well. I mean, in China, there's um, obviously um, CCTV ubiquitous CCTV yeah. and uh, facial recognition. Um, it should be said this isn't necessarily, you know, Singapore's reading reports has been extremely effective mm. at uh, countering the virus, as has Taiwan, and they have they are clearly not police states as like 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 China. So this is something that democracies can achieve. I'm just not sure if we are having that that public debate. Um, right now in a way that I think is really urgently needed, especially here in the US. Yeah. Um, I think, I think, I think over there where you are, mm. obviously there's, there's much more immediate concerns about poor Boris Johnson yeah. in hospital at the moment. Well, I think that will probably really ram it home for some people because there is still yeah. a sense, like when I have gone out for the odd um, walk or for shopping, I have, you know, there are still clearly some people who don't seem to be taking it seriously. Um, yeah. Um, and we've yeah. got a real problem with uh, with joggers at the moment. <laughs> and, um, it's, yeah. it's almost a civil war. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, the um, it, does, it does raise, I, I saw that... Um, uh, the former um, Supreme Court Justice Lord Jonathan Sumption yes. was quite vocal yeah. earlier, was it earlier last week, yes. about um, saying that, you know, the police that are interpreting the wishes of the government, mm-hmm. so the, the government, the British government wishes, doesn't want people to go out and exercise unless mm-hmm. it's necessary. And 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 there, were, there was a story of local police force essentially publishing pictures um, of people exercising in the um, in a park somewhere. Yeah, um, they were sunbathing. They were sunbathing and sunbathing. having parties. Yeah, exactly. Um, but but simply um, enforcing the wishes of the government—that's um, not the following the rule of law. The, the rule of law is there has to be actual. You have to follow the law, legislation, not the wishes. Mm. And, a, and, a, and a state that just enforces government wishes is a police state. Mm. So if the government wants something done, it has to um, enforce, it has to produce regulations or legislation to spell that out. And it can't just be up to the local police officers interpreting that as they want, mm. because mm. that's not the way that the rule of law works in, in Britain. Yeah, and it'll be inconsistent and then people are not going to really know what to do, which there has been an element of that. I know um, like there was a, a case Precisely. of a, a lady um, I don't know, she was arrested at a, a train station when she refused to um, answer police officers' questions about where she was going, um, and then she mm. received a fine, and I, and I think that case is now um, being appealed or something. So, it's all, yeah, it's, yeah, there's all sorts of strange things. Like I that. mean, it it is it brings back memories, doesn't it, of Eastern Bloc 
countries in the mm. Cold War can wear your papers. Uh, you know, yes. you need to have papers to travel from A to B, and without that, yeah, that's sort of one of the archetypes of the of a police state is mm. always having to have an identity card with you and travel with, you know, have your papers to go anywhere. Mm. Um, you know, and, and this is it. It's uh, to what extent are the public citizens um, willing to allow that at this moment in order to safeguard public security? Where does that line draw? You know, most people would say facing a, this unprecedented threat that, that are willing to allow the infringement of some traditional um, privacy, uh, human rights, civil liberties. Mm. Most people would agree to that, but but how much they would agree to that is something that at least I, I've been looking, uh, following this over, over the last couple of weeks closely, and I haven't seen a, a coherent um, policy put forward by um, governments uh, in, in the West about this. No, no. Well, quickly just before we wrap up is there anything else that's important to you today on this subject that we haven't covered that you'd like to discuss one other area that i think um where intelligence services we may find have been playing a role and that's with um with covert action yes so yeah. uh, the, the other the other area that intelligence services in the 20th century traditionally played a role in is with um activities, clandestine, deniable activities that can assist their government, mm. uh, in other words, COVID action. Mm. And there was a story a few weeks ago about, again, Israel's intelli foreign intelligence service, the Mossad, mm. um, essentially conducting a covert action uh, to, to covertly purchase COVID testing kits. Mm. And I, I just, that made me think that actually, I, I really doubt that Israel's intelligence services alone in doing this, no. um, that there will be clandestine activities um, by intelligence services across the political spectrum in order to try to safeguard and to protect, to try to help their government. Mm. At the end of the day, intelligence services, it strikes me, are really always going to be the last refuge of um, the sovereign national states. So they can, they are called on to do things when all other options are uh you know are um unavailable mm. to, to try to help help the government out of a predicament mm. and whether that means somehow getting testing kits um or uh any other um deniable activities i imagine that is one area that they are being asked to undertake whether we will ever see any documents about this in britain and the us i doubt it but you know, worth worth thinking about your listeners um, as we all um, yeah. watch this unfold. Yeah, definitely. Well, as long as they don't get caught, we should never see it in the newspapers. <laughs> Precisely. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Chris, that that's that's my thoughts. Yeah, and if any of your if your listeners have any thoughts, they mm. can they can reach me on I'm on Twitter. Um, my handle is at Calder underscore Walton, and I'd love to hear any thoughts that your your listeners have. Fantastic. Um, but those are my four, those are my four thoughts. Thoughts and the, the article you mentioned at the outset is in foreign policy. Yeah, brilliant. Well, look, thank you so much, that Calder. It's been fantastic. No, my pleasure. And um, hope to talk to you again, and hopefully under slightly better circumstances when yeah. things, things get back to things get back to uh, perhaps a bit more normal. Yeah, definitely. Like what we're doing? Connect with us on Twitter at DryCleanerCast. Support the show by becoming a Dry Cleaner Cast Patreon subscriber today. 
go to patreon.com slash drycleanercast. That's patreon.com slash drycleanercast. Thanks for listening. This is Need to Know.